Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG, and I'm Eric Clayton. You've heard of FOMO, the fear of missing out. You've probably experienced it, too. It's paralyzing. You find yourself trapped, asking the same question over and over again. What am I missing out on? And what will it mean for my future? Well, Father Michael Rossman is back on the pod today to tweak the meaning of FOMO. His new book is called The Freedom of Missing Out, Letting Go of Fear and Saying Yes to Life. And rather than allow ourselves to be paralyzed by all the opportunities we inevitably say no to, Father Rossman encourages us to look at this missing out as a chance to engage more deeply with the deepest, most important aspects of our lives. You can find his new book wherever books are sold, or check out the link in the show notes. Now, all the way from Rome, here's Father Michael Rossman. Father Michael Rossman, welcome back to AMDG. Glad to have you with us. Thanks, Eric. Good to be with you. So you have a new book out called The Freedom of Missing Out, Letting Go of Fear and Saying Yes to Life. Tell me, what's the thesis of this book? What are you trying to get across to, to, to readers? This book is about the freedom that comes from missing out by committing ourselves to someone or something. Of course, we naturally fear missing out. But if we just get over the hump and commit ourselves, we oftentimes experience a deeper freedom. In this book, I tried to talk about saying no and accepting no in order to give a deeper yes. I love that. And I, I also love how you essentially flipped the, the term FOMO on its head, right? Exactly. And I wonder, you know, like, so, so for folks that are, are accustomed to, to FOMO, uh, you know, to this, this fear of, of, of missing things, what, what is, how does freedom come into play? How, how is it that um, you, can, you can kind of fight fear with freedom? Yeah, freedom comes from the stability that uh, we experience when we actually commit ourselves. And so, again, it's natural to be afraid. We you know, don't want to miss out on a great opportunity. But when we're in that no man's land without having made a decision, we also do not experience you know, stability and kind of the peace and joy that comes from that. So when we actually commit ourselves to a particular path, we do have that sense of grounding that gives us an experience of freedom. Who is the audience you have in mind for this book? Who, who do you think just needs to, to get this message and, and really take it to heart? Yeah, before I came to Rome, I was working in a particular way with college students. And especially I was working with uh, young men who were in discernment, young men who were considering the possibility of a Jesuit vocation. And I witnessed so many young people who really struggled to commit. At the same time, I also noticed how this difficulty around commitment is not exactly unique to young people. I think all of us have many dreams. There are so many things we would love to do, but we simply cannot do it all. We simply cannot do most of what we might want to do. And when we are waiting for something great, we might miss out on all the good 
that can come with a commitment that we could make you know, today or in the near future. I love that. And I love, I love that you're saying like kind of like, it's almost like that. What's that old cliche, you know, don't let the the good be the enemy of the great or the perfect. Right. Exactly. Um, and I, I think about, uh, you, you mentioned this idea of vocation. Um, how, how, and, and I feel like when I'm thinking about vocation, you don't want to say, oh, I settled for good as opposed to great when it comes to vocation. And yet uh, what you're describing sounds like a real roadblock, a real obstacle. Uh, you know, if, if we, if we are always afraid of missing something else, it's, it's a real obstacle to, to understanding and living into our vocation. Right. So how, how do you kind of uh, balance this, this tension? It is a balance as you just mentioned, um, because the truth is if we are waiting so long, well, during all of that time that we are waiting, we're, you know, kind of missing out on the good that comes from a commitment. Of course, it is a balance, though, because we also don't want to, you know, rush into something um, that may not actually suit us simply because then, you know, we maybe we're motivated to, to rush into a commitment because, you know, we don't want to be alone or we want to have something to do, whatever it might be. So there certainly is a balance that we need to have. I think for most of us, however, not necessarily everyone, but for most of us, we are more likely to lack courage and we could use a bit of a push to kind of be bold in making commitments. I, uh, I like the idea of, of, of needing a push. And I wonder if you have any suggestions, um, maybe not for folks who, who are in need of that push, but maybe for, for folks that, that want to help kind of encourage and push people um, they see in their lives that might need to commitment, uh, might need to commit. What, what recommendations do you have for folks that are, are kind of on that side of things? Like, oh, I just want to help this person kind of live into this, this commitment. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and of course, you know, people have to, on some level, make their own decisions. But of course, we want to help those that we can. You know, one way would be to sort of flip the question and, you know, ask about, you know, what they might be giving up by not making a commitment. Um, because so frequently we can focus on, you know, what we what we might, you know, miss out on, whether it's, you know, a weekend commitment with friends or whether it's, uh, you know, an even better job that we might have. Uh, so, so frequently we, we, we stop ourselves from committing because we're waiting for something better. But I think, you know, helping someone to look at how missing out is inevitable. And the more that we wait, the more we also kind of miss out on the good that we could be experiencing right now. Yeah. And I, uh, I don't want to give any spoilers, but in the book, you <laughs> mentioned that you uh, studied uh, economics, right? As a, as an exactly. undergrad and, and what you're describing is opportunity cost, right? So right. I, I loved how you, I loved how you paired economics and theology, right? <laughs> not, not obviously um, in this book, but kind of in your life too. So, so what other things can we learn from taking like, like this very practical approach of like economics that, that, that then applies and fits into our, our spiritual lives and our, our ultimately our vocational path. Right. Yeah. So in, in college, I was a double major in economics and theology. Inevitably, when I would tell people that they would almost invariably give me the same response. Hmm. 
that's interesting. <laughs> People couldn't <laughs> quite quite put it together. Um, and well, and I and I joke and say that you know um, God won, but if uh, the God thing didn't work out, I could always fall back on Mammon. Uh, but economics really <laughs> has shaped my thinking. You know, oftentimes when people think of econ, maybe they think of you know money or finance. Um, economics, at its root, in a sense, is making choices in situations of scarcity. And we're always experiencing scarcity. We cannot do everything that we would want to do. We only have 24 hours in a day, and you know we only have uh, so many resources and so forth. And so we always have to kind of make situ decisions in situations of scarcity, even if we're not always cognizant of that reality. And so something that's quite basic to economic reasoning would be the opportunity cost, the enjoyment of kind of the next best alternative. And so when I decide to do something or buy something, my decision is influenced not only by the time it might take to do that thing or the money it might um, take to purchase that item, but I also have to think about, you know, kind of the next best alternative for that time or for those economic resources. And so I think that economic lens, when paired also kind of with a spiritual tradition and so forth, can help us make decisions in this inevitable situation of scarcity where we are always missing out from something. Yeah, I, I love that. And it feels very Ignatian in some ways, because obviously St. Ignatius gave us very clear steps for discernment, right? For decision making, as, yeah. as you know well. I um I wonder if you ever run into people, though, um, and you, where you're talking to, to folks about decision making and you're laying out these very practical steps. Do you ever find that people are resistant to just, you know, kind of these doing this kind of concrete uh, you know, reflection and, and, and self-work when they really want some sort of big, you know, uh, you know, lightning bolt across the sky, and 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 the idea that it's not going to come in a in a you know science of wonders, but it might just really these decisions come down to making you know good you know opportunity cost type decisions. Are people resistant to that in your in your experience, and how do you manage that? Yeah, I, certainly some people I have encountered are waiting for the lightning bolts. They're waiting for the angelic choirs, and you know maybe it happens for some people but that certainly was not my own experience um and that's certainly not the experience uh for most people you know and at the same time too i don't want to lose the kind of the the you know religious and spiritual element of good discernment but that means that we can also kind of integrate you know some of these other lenses as well um you know of course, a big part of Ignatian spirituality is this uh, effort to uh, you know, find God in, in all things. Um, and part of that is, you know, kind of using the various gifts from God that we have received and using the insights that, you know, really smart human beings created in the image and likeness of God have developed over, you know, centuries. And so we can integrate kind of that wisdom with our spiritual tradition. And we both kind of have to do that, that personal work where, you know, we are paying attention on a regular basis, looking at, okay, what, what are the gifts and that I've received and how might they be used uh, for the service uh, of others and you know, ultimately the praise of God? 
and um, you know what you know are the, the the needs of the world that are out there um, okay and of course there are practical considerations as well you know how might I put food uh, on the table and I also want to pay attention to okay how God has knitted me in my mother's womb and you know what really makes me come alive so we can use all of those tools of Ignatian discernment as we are you know kind of paying attention to how we might best commit ourselves. I think if nothing else, this podcast is a great um, advertisement for the double majors in theology and economics. <laughs> Please, because <find> me. <laughs> this makes, I mean, this makes so much sense to me now that you're describing like, oh my gosh, yeah, like you're thinking about scarcity, you know, our, our time is scarce and scarce and, and uh, how do we make spiritual decisions out of that? Um, you know, one thing that I, you know, I, I obviously, I've known you for a couple of years now and, and I, I've followed a number of your, your, your video series, right? The one minute uh, homilies at Jesuit post and, and, and now um, so many of your, of your uh, weekly uh, videos. Uh, and so it's, in some ways, it seems like this book is really um, just a compilation of, of, of your own personal journey with a lot of this source material on these, on these topics. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, the journey you went on in, in creating this book and the concept, and then what are some of the most important sources for you uh, as, as you think about this idea of, of um, you know, being free to miss out? Yeah, great. So, Eric, uh, you, you caught me. Exactly. This this book really is kind of an integration of, you know, different lessons that I have learned, particularly in, in, in recent years. So, as you mentioned, I do make uh, regular videos um, for, for social media. And, you know, because I'm making a video each week and then I'm also, you know, kind of preaching at mass all the time, I'm always on the lookout for different research, different anecdotes that can illuminate in some way the human experience. Um, plus, it's just so much fun for me to read a, a wide variety of sources and listen to you know, different podcasts and watch different YouTube videos, so on and so forth. And I have to admit, um, of course, I'm, I'm rooted in kind of the Catholic tradition and I'm constantly, you know, steeped in the scriptures as I'm trying to prepare homilies, so on and so forth. But I have to admit, as I am kind of being, being exposed to some really interesting thinkers who are out there writing books and articles and you know, making podcasts and so forth, uh, I oftentimes wish that there were more religious voices. Uh, so frequently, many of the most interesting public intellectuals are not particularly religious themselves but I can still learn from them and then hopefully try to kind of, you know, share some of their insights with uh, the people who follow me, who um, may be more religious or maybe not. Um, I wrote this book and, you know, I make many of my videos trying to speak to different audiences, um, people who, you know, might love the Catholic faith as much as I do. And also people who, you know, might be a little bit more, distant from the church or more questioning and so on and so forth. Um, certainly the hope here is that different types of people could um, access this and get something out of it. Yeah, I, I really, I mean, I always, I always admire how you are able to take, um, you know, insights from all over the place and, and, <laughs> and shine that kind of, you know, that, that Christian Catholic Ignatian light on it. And you start your book. I just want to read a, a bit. Uh, this is actually from scripture. It's not necessarily from your, from you. Right. But you, you start with this great quote from Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable. If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. How, how does that shape your approach to, 
um, again, how you engage with, with the world. Yes. Um, yeah, that is one of my favorite passages from scripture. And, you know, I, I did want to include that in the book because it, it really does shape not only what I'm trying to do in this book or through my videos, but what I'm trying to do with, with my life. You know, I have had the privilege of interacting with all sorts of people from all over the world. I've, you know, had the privilege of living in different places. And, you know, I have seen the goodness uh, and the wisdom of people who, you know, <laughs> may not be a fellow follower of Jesus Christ, like, like myself. Uh, and, you know, certainly part of the Catholic tradition is to hold up and to celebrate that which is good and true and beautiful wherever we find that. And, you know, oftentimes we might find that kind of within the church. And oftentimes we find that, you know, uh, among people of goodwill who may not be part of the church. So certainly that is um, kind of my own sort of mission as I try to be attentive to the goodness and the beauty and the wisdom around me. And that's what I'm trying to convey um, through my, my public work as well. I, I think actually, uh, you know, you have a chapter um, on being freed by constraints, right? And, and I think that almost fits so beautifully over what you're describing that um, that then you you put, I mean, constraints almost feels like a negative word, but but you put a structure, you put some rules around uh, around existence, right? And it allows us to be more creative. That's what you're you're arguing in in that particular chapter or section of your book. Can you talk a little bit about um, about how that works? Because it really resonated with me this idea of, um, and I'll give an example. There's there's uh, you know I like to write short stories, right? And and there's a, a type of short story that you write. It's only a hundred words. You have to use exactly a hundred words, uh -huh. and it's such a it's such a silly arbitrary constraint, but it allows such creativity. Um, uh, you know, in, in the writing and in the thinking and, and, um, I find it a lot of fun. So, so, so tell me how for you, this idea, um, fits with that, that line from Philippians and then also unlocks this creativity that you're, you're talking about in your book. Yeah. So I see this freedom, uh, by constraints on a number of different levels. So first of all, I think perhaps particularly in the American context, our notion of freedom can be underdeveloped. True freedom is more than just doing whatever the heck that I want to do. You know, um, freedom is, is, is ultimately for the good. Uh, additionally, we, we need some limits. <laughs> you know, Eric, I know you have a, a couple of young children. And certainly I, I assume you, you know, see this on a regular basis that, you know, <laughs> your kids need some structure. <laughs> your kids oh, need yes. some stability. <laughs> and that doesn't uh, necessarily, you know, hamper their, you know, personal development or their creative creativity. Rather, it's kind of from that stable structure that that creativity can be born. You know, if we go through life without limits, we we flounder. You know, we kind of need some guardrails, some structure, and then within that structure, you know, we can really flourish as human persons. And I see this in a particular way you know, in the creative process. That's such a good example. I, I've never heard of that prompt, but it's a great one of, you know, write a story in only 100 words. Um, you know, if, if you were to be told, just tell me a story, <laughs> it might be hard to really think of something. But if you were given the prompt of write a story in 100 words, or if you were given the prompt about, you know, tell me a story about a place where your family liked to go to in the summer when you were growing up probably immediately with such a prompt, admittedly an artificial constraint, because now I'm telling you the type of story I want you to share. But with kind of those, those constraints, 
you know, uh, memories might just kind of flood your brain and you might be able to kind of um, bring something together in the creative process. So even though it sounds somewhat paradoxical, I think we can see this on a number of levels that we need some constraints, some structure in order for that freedom and that creativity to really flow. Yeah, I, I think it's such an important point. And I, I really hope that listeners will kind of take some time reflecting in their own lives to, to see where that might be true or, or where there might be an opportunity to practice it. Another topic in your book, and again, I think, I mean, this is obviously all connected, right? It's it's, it's one theme of, of, in your book here, but the idea of, of having the, the sphere of influence um, as, as being a way to find serenity, right? And accepting, uh, you know, that, that classic prayer, accepting the things we cannot change. But, but you talk about it in this, in this way, a very practical way that, that might help people, uh, again, better let go of, of things that, that are beyond their control. So tell me a little bit about um, how we can practice uh, kind of be mi being mindful of our spheres of influence um, as it relates to the themes in your book. Yeah, great. So certainly you mentioned the, the serenity prayer, which has been helpful for me and, you know, helpful for countless people, um, even people who may not necessarily have a regular prayer practice. Um, but, it, you know, that prayer sort of emerged uh, from the, the 12 steps community, you know, people who recognize that, OK, they, 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 they could not do this alone. Um, they had to rely upon a, a power greater than themselves. And a helpful question for me is to ask, you know, what is in my sphere of influence? Um, you know, what are those things that I, I can change? And so I can ask God for the courage to, to try to change them. And then what are those things to, those things that I just kind of have to accept and ask for the serenity to accept that I cannot change them? And so now I am preaching to myself because I struggle with this one. You know, I struggle to <laughs> accept those things that I cannot change. But I know I am a better human being when I try to focus on what really is in my, you know, sphere of influence, what is under my control, at least in some way, and what absolutely isn't. And there are so many things that we cannot change. We cannot even influence. You know, think about all the you know, the media we might consume frequently, we have no or very little influence on many of the things from around the world that might kind of bombard us in our news feeds. And I try to remember that I don't have to have an opinion on everything. I don't have to, you know, consume every single news article. And oftentimes I'm a better human being and certainly it's <laughs> more enjoyable for the people around me when I try to focus on what I can influence I tr and try to focus on where I can make a contribution rather than um, just kind of complaining about those things that are outside of my control. You're you're kind of hinting at how this idea of of recognizing our limitations and and again being free to miss out on things um, can then kind of bring us into uh, a conversation with society, right, and and ultimately perhaps have a have a uh, impact for the common good. How do you so? How do you see some of these themes in your book? Um, again, having that, uh, it feels very kind of personal, uh, but then obviously the personal spills into the uh, into the communal. So how how do you see these things these things connecting and ultimately having that uh, you know that common good impact? Yeah. So one of the themes in this book that I try to get across is kind of this more nuanced and robust 
um, understanding of freedom, that freedom is something more than just kind of being uh, unconstrained in any way, that really kind of in the Catholic or Christian or, or, or philosophical tradition for that matter, true freedom is the ability to do what is good. And so, of course, on a personal level, we you know, like the experience uh, of freedom, but this is ultimately uh, a gift for others as well, that really there are two types of freedom, a freedom from, which tends to be the emphasis perhaps in a U.S. context, but also freedom for, freedom for service. So there is this close connection between our own experience of freedom and, you know, the peace and the joy that comes with that and the fact that our lives are not our own and that our freedom is also for service of others. It makes me think of uh, the Catholic social teaching principle, right? Rights and responsibilities that, right. that we're, we're all in this together. Um, so, so you've, you've begun to do this, but, but kind of pull the thread all the way through on how this um, Ignatian spirituality really brings this to life. Yeah. So I integrate a, a couple elements of Ignatian spirituality um, in this, in this book. One would be the first principle and foundation, which comes at the very beginning of St. Ignatius's spiritual exercises. I think one of the reasons we struggle with, you know, missing out is we may not be totally sure why it is we're here on this earth. But Ignatius, and he was drawing upon a more ancient tradition, and this uh, tradition as well is not unique to Ignatian spirituality or the Jesuits. It's, it's really right out of the catechism as well, that, you know, the human beings are, are created to praise, reverence, and serve our God um, by the means of this to save their souls. Additionally, at the end of the principle and foundation, Ignatius talks about how everything on this earth really has the potential to call forth from us a more, you know, loving response. And no matter the ways in which we have missed out in the past, no matter uh, the bad decisions we have made and the mistakes and so forth that are part of our histories, we, no matter where we are, are always free to choose that which um, uh, is, is greater for our praise, reverence, and service. And then another aspect of Ignatian spirituality that I try to draw upon um, in this book is Ignatius's rules for discernment. Um, Ignatius was just a master discerner or decision maker. And one um, of the aspects that he talks about in his rules for discernment are the various reasons for desolation. And I see some parallels with our experience of missing out. Sometimes when we experience desolation or sometimes when we miss out, it's basically our fault. You know, we're lazy, you know, we're inattentive to the spiritual life, or we just never really get our act together, or, you know, we kind of cower in fear. And so that might be why we experience desolation, or that might be why we uh, miss out in some way. But even the saints experience desolation. And even when, you know, we do most things right, inevitably, we also miss out on good things. Um, but that experience of desolation and that experience of missing out can enable us to grow. Now, at times, we may not always want so many opportunities for growth, but <laughs> we can also probably each look back on our own stories and see how some of those more difficult experiences, sometimes when you know that door was closed for us, 
that was exactly what enabled us to really um, grow as human persons. Yeah, I love that uh, approach to, to to looking at kind of the you know causes of desolation and and uh, desolation as uh, you know potentially missing out. Um, so, so final question and uh, follows right on that last one. Um, and again, as a theme throughout your book, you talk about the importance of the frames we choose, right? To how, how we frame things in our lives, and I think that's a really a spiritual task in a lot of ways. You know, it's 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 our if we decide to be joy, joyful or 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 pessimistic in some ways. So how ultimately do you see kind of reframing as a spiritual tool um, uh, you know, for, for how we, we look at all of these opportunities uh, that you describe in our lives? Yeah. So, you know, a big theme in this book is recognizing that, you know, on some level, we are always missing out. We, we cannot do it all. So, you know, it's easy to focus on kind of, you know, what we are missing, but a more helpful to frame is to see that, okay, this is inevitable. It's, it's, part of the of the process. And what I'm trying to express in this book is that missing out, both saying no to things and also accepting the many no's that life brings our way, it's not about deprivation. Rather, it's through this missing out, both saying no and accepting no, that enables us to go big on something. So we say no and we accept no in order to say yes to a more abundant life. Father Michael Rossman, thank you so much for joining us. Again, the book is called The Freedom of Missing Out, Letting Go of Fear and Saying Yes to Life. Available everywhere, right? Exactly. Awesome. All right, my friend. Thank you much. All right. Thanks, Eric. God bless. AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Mike Jordan Lasky, Megan Leapsch, Becky Sindelar, and me, Eric Clayton. Connect with the Jesuits online at Jesuits.org, on Twitter at, at @JesuitNews, on Instagram at WeAreTheJesuits, and at Facebook, facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. <laughs>